Anything is possible if a person believes. Lord Jesus, we believe. By the work of your Holy Spirit, help us with our unbelief. Amen. Please be seated. So we embark on a new journey this morning through the rest of this summer, a message series all about what it means to believe and what it is that we believe in and how that belief can be worked out in our hearts, mind, soul, and strength through our attitudes and our actions wherever we are, whoever we're with. We're looking at belief. Believe. And I want to begin with a thought. And the thought is this. Regardless of the category, if you're going to be successful at something, you need to know the basics. You need to know the basics. So in, in science and sports, if you're going to be successful, you need to know the basics. In accounting and in chemistry, if you're going to be successful, you need to know the basics. In math and in ministry, the basics are essential to faithfulness and fruitfulness. If we don't know the basics, we become lost. We become confused. We become frustrated. And worse of all, we become ignorantly indifferent. If we do know the basics, we find ourselves becoming engaged. We become curious and fulfilled. And most significantly, when we know the basics, we become passionately committed. It's true in every facet of life. It's also true in movies. So for example, when it comes to Star Wars, you need to know the basics. There are three original movies which came out before the three prequel movies, which are now being followed up with three sequel movies. Luke and Leia are the children of Padme and Anakin. Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Yoda rocks. Jar Jar Binks does not. <laughs> Chewbacca and Han Solo are besties, BFFs. Leia loves Han Solo. He knows it. They get married and have a son who turns to the dark side and builds a third Death Star. Good always triumphs over evil, and the Force will always be with you. Now, would you agree with me that North Americans are more clear about the basics of Star Wars than the basics of the Christian faith? So as we journey together this summer, we are going to look at the basics of the faith. Why that's important uh, to know and how that leads to faithfulness and fruitfulness in our lives. Now the earliest form of the basics of the Christian faith is found in the Apostles' Creed. Have y'all ever... Um, 
been exposed to the Apostles' Creed before, maybe growing up, maybe at a previous church, maybe this morning in our call to worship, you were here and you professed your faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed as we're going to be doing every Sunday this summer. The Apostles' Creed is a summary. It's an outline of the basics of the faith received from Jesus Christ, handed down through the Apostles and taught by the church for the past 2,000 years. Have you ever wondered how the Apostles' Creed came together? I'm sure you've been thinking about that a lot recently. Um, but but it, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. I want to just encourage you to imagine for a moment. Imagine you're one of the 12 apostles. You've been following Jesus. You've been imitating Jesus. And now Jesus has commissioned you to go into the, all the world and make disciples teaching them everything that he has taught you. Now, what exactly is it that you're going to go into all the world and teach? How do you know you've got it right? How do you know you haven't left anything out? This is important stuff. And so the story of the origin of the Apostles' Creed held by the early church goes like this. As the 12 apostles prepared to leave Jerusalem to fulfill the Great Commission and take the gospel to various parts of the world. They know it's important to be unified in their preaching and their teaching. They want to be on the same page. And so maybe it's the, the days leading up to Pentecost when they're in Jerusalem and waiting. Maybe it's the several days after the day of Pentecost before they actually embark on their journey. But the apostles get together and they discuss the content and the highlights of the faith that they learned together from Jesus. And they all contribute and come up with this summary, this outline to make sure that their preaching and teaching is the same message that they received from Jesus. And this collaborative focus on the basics of the faith that they received from Jesus results in the Apostles' Creed, what we believe. So regardless of how exactly the Apostles' Creed came together, we know that it took written form and it starts to appear in the practice of the early church all over the Mediterranean as early as 140 A.D. So in what is uh, present-day Western Europe in Gaul, an early church father named Irenaeus declares that the church has, quote, received from the apostles and their disciples this faith, end quote. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Apostles' Creed. Tertullian describes the same summary of the faith practiced in Carthage in North Africa. And Hippolytus of Rome writes that the creed is being used as an integral component of discipling new believers. And he goes on to explain how the creed serves as not only a way to disciple people in the faith, but as a way for the community of faith to renew their faith as they uh, profess the creed in the context of baptism. And he talks about how this creed is in interrogative format. It's in question and answer form and uniquely Trinitarian. Which is important to say on Trinity Sunday. 
Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And Hippolytus goes on to describe how the congregation would join the baptism, baptism candidate in reciting the Apostles' Creed as a reaffirmation of their own faith that they declared at their baptism. And incidentally, that's how we utilize the Apostles' Creed in our worship today, in our baptismal liturgy. In interrogative question and answer format, not only do do we train new believers and their parents up in the faith using the creed, but we also reaffirm our faith, the faith of the church in the words of the Apostles' Creed every time someone's baptized. And that's important because it's not enough just to know the basics of the faith. Remember, we've got to live them and we've got to, we've got to pass on the basics of faith to others. And that's why we're doing this message series this, this summer. We're going to be using the Apostles' Creed as a, as a template. It's going to serve as a guide as to what the basics of the faith are, what that means to us, how to live that out, and how to pass that on as we make disciples as a gospel community, making disciples, developing kingdom leaders to live on mission. So think of the Apostles' Creed kind of like the Cliff's Notes, right? You don't have to raise your hand. I used Cliff's Notes in high school and college. Very helpful. They're summary. They're an outline. And that's what the creed is. Cliff's Notes of the faith received from Jesus Christ, handed down by the apostles through the church for the past 2,000 years. That's what credo means. Anybody remember their Latin? What does credo mean? Yes, it does, Logan. I believe credo, credis, credit, credimus, credistus, credunt. Right? Close? I'm a little rusty. It's been since eighth grade for me. <laughs> That's Latin for I believe. And in some translations of the Bible, we have the Latin, but most translations of the Bible go back to its original Greek, and the word for faith or believe in the Greek is pistis. Pistis. And it's interesting, anywhere you see the word uh, pistis in the scriptures, it's translated either into faith or belief. And the reason why that same word in the Greek has two English translations is because there is no verb form of the word faith in the English language. And so anywhere you see faith or believe in the New Testament, it's the same word, pistis. And so what does it mean? How, how is it that we believe? This is a really cool thing. Because the word pistis is comprehensive. To believe means to believe with our mind. When we come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we belong to his people in the context of his body, we don't check our brains at the door. God created us with minds, and with our minds we're meant to believe in him. But belief has a component of being an intellectual assent to truth. But it's, it's not just our mind, it's also our heart. That, that belief entails trusting that God is who he says he is and does what he says he does. It includes our emotions. It's not static or dull or lifeless and boring. 
We're meant to set our hearts on God and, and our affections on his, on his person and his kingdom that our life might follow. So pistis, faith, is about our mind. It's about our heart. But it also conveys the aspect of our feet. That, that pistis is an action verb. And it, it means walking in what we know and what we trust to be true. It means living that out and putting it into practice. So you see, when the scriptures describe faith, the scriptures describe faith as a reliance, as a, a dependency, a trust in God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, all the action of our lives. That we believe in God with all of who we are and all of what we have and all of what we do. That's what it means when we say we believe. And that exposes the reality of unbelief at a certain level. Because we believe God exists. And that it's actually irrational to believe that he doesn't. We believe we can know God, but only as we acknowledge him as God and surrender to his plan and purposes for the world. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans 1, he says that God has revealed himself to us, but people don't believe in God because people don't want to worship God, and so they suppress the truth of God, and their minds become darkened. And he goes on to describe that the problem is not that people cannot know God. The problem is that people don't want to know God. They don't want to acknowledge God or surrender to his plan or purposes for the world. And so it, it describes unbelief as those who would rather worship themselves and created things rather than to submit to God and enjoy their creator. This is, this is really important. It's very sobering. Because unbelief is not an intellectual problem. It's a relational problem. Unbelief isn't a head problem. It's a heart problem. It's why we need Messiah. To open our heart and our mind to the scripture. And how everything God has been doing past, present, and future points to him. And it's why we need that same Messiah to take out our heart of stone. That dark, hard heart that rebels and rejects the person of God and his plans for our, our lives. That, that holds out his love from consuming us. And to give us a soft heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is, is, is supple and sensitive to the person and the work of God in our lives that, that leads to obedience and belief with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me, um, let me try and describe this um, a little bit. This was helpful to me. I hope that this is helpful to you. In terms of, you know, what do we mean when we say... I believe. Because we use um, I believe a lot in everyday language about all sorts of things in many different ways. So let's break this down. At its lowest level, 
Um, when I say I believe, it implies uncertainty. Um, did you remember to lock the car? I believe so. See, in this case, what we mean is that we have a reason to think that we locked the car, but we can't guarantee it. Right, baby? I, I do this a lot. I believe so. <laughs> oh. At a slightly higher level, we say, I believe when expressing an opinion. It's an opinion that we're willing to support, but we're not absolutely certain about. So I believe our new roof is going to be ready and finished tomorrow. Brian might say something different, right? And, and what I mean by saying that is that, as I mean, I, I think that to be the case, but I could be persuaded otherwise, especially from someone with more, more knowledge on the subject. Okay, so that's, that's believe as an opinion. Um, uncertainty, opinion, it's still a higher level, I might say, I believe, meaning that I'm convinced that something is true, even though others may not think so. So I believe that what we're doing with the Good Earth Farmer's Market is one of the most loving things that we can express, that we can do to express um, our care and concern and desire to be in relationship with the people of this neighborhood. I believe that the Good Earth Farmer's Market is one of the easiest, most uh, exciting ways to help people meet Jesus. And I believe that if we continue to, to, to come and continue to show up and continue um, to buy the vineyard, vendors good stuff, that Farmer's Market's going to make it. And it's going to be one of the most evangelistic things uh, that we're able to do. So at this level, belief is tantamount to conviction. It's ready to be tested in order to become certainty and to prove its point, even if others disagree with it. You see how we use believe, like, all the time. But there's still another level, and I think this is the most important level, at which one might say, I believe in. And at this level, belief is most like trust. Think of it this way. If a child is willing to jump off a ledge into her father's arms, we say that the child is believing in her father. She is trusting her father to catch her. She is depending and relying on her father to catch her. She, she trusts him. And with that knowledge of her father, with that emotional dependency on her father, she's willing to go ahead and jump. Now see, at that point, we begin to see the difference between believing that and believing in and what the creed means when we affirm that I believe in God is not merely that we believe that God exists. What the creed means is that we trust God, we're willing to rely on God, and just as a child jumping off a ledge, depend on God in all things. We believe in God for our very lives. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And therefore, while the creed begins with the word I, it's not in the I that's important. Because the creed isn't ultimately about what I believe. It's rather about the one in whom I believe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. 
the one into whose life I've been immersed, the one into whose nature I am a divine partaker, the one in whose hands I am safe and secure forever. That's what it means to believe. It's how the creed has been a helpful outline and summary and discipleship tool and expression of worship throughout the ages. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, we declare ourselves to be part of that countless multitude throughout the centuries who have found their identity and the same gospel among the same community of believers to which we now belong. Past, present, future. That's the church. And when we profess our faith in the words of the Apostle Creed, we do so with wonderfully unique personalities and vastly different backgrounds and a wide variety of experiences and differences, and yet beautifully as one people. Because there's one Lord, one faith. We are equally loved by the Father. We are equally forgiven by the Son. We are equally sanctified by the Spirit. Having the basics of the faith is useful to us and it's, it's useful to others. And it, it serves, the Apostles' Creed serves as, as, as a standard that, that helps hold us accountable to what it is that we're believing. It's, it's like a doctrinal guard or a litmus test of orthodoxies. We're, fo we're fond of saying this, an essentials, unity, and non-essentials, Liberty, in all things, charity. What does that mean? It means that we are two-handed disciples of Jesus. And in the one hand, the things that have been revealed to us in Jesus and handed down to us by the apostles and taught throughout the history of the church, in those things, in the basics of the faith, faith, we hold with a closed fist. They are non-negotiable. We don't let those go. We don't tweak them and flirt with them and play around with them or water them down. We hold those essentials with a tight fist. On the other hand, there are differences of opinion around secondary or tertiary matters of the faith that have nothing to do with our salvation that could be different customs or differences of opinion, but they're not essentially taught by the word of God and a part of the faith that we have received. And in those things, we hold out with an open hand. And so we know through the creed what is in the closed hand, and we know what can be in the open hand, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. So the creed is not so much a personal statement of faith as it is a statement of what makes the church the church and our allegiance to the essence of the faith the church proclaims. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Walter Eversley, responded to a classmate of mine who was asking about the creed. And his question was, why recite the creed? Oh, why recite the creed? And Dr. Eversley said, because it's what the church believes. And he said, but I don't understand it all, and I'm not even sure I believe in every point. And Dr. Eversley said, so? Recite it anyway. 
profess it anyway. He went on to tell the student, it's not your creed. It's the creed of the church. And when you recite it, you're declaring what the church believes, and you're claiming yourself to be a part of the church. So whether you understand every part of it is irrelevant. Because much of the time, faith comes before understanding. So what if, what if we were to embark on this journey together this summer with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength to put ourselves in a posture of trust, of dependency, of surrender, relying on who God is, who he creates us to be, what he has done to reconcile us to him through the forgiveness of our sins and how we live in grateful response. What if we learned and lived and led with the basics of the faith? You know what would happen? L-I-F-E, life. That's what would happen. We would be transformed and we would grow and we would give away the full, abundant, and eternal life that Jesus came and died and rose again that we would experience. That is, that is the journey that we're on together. Believing. Not, not without good deeds, because believing without good deeds is what? It's dead and it's useless. But believing with action, believing with attitude and good deeds, putting our faith into practice is alive and it's helpful to us and it's helpful to other people. So, so learning the basics and living the basics and leading the basics of the faith is going to result in some radical transformation in our lives this summer. It's going to help us be more deeply connected with God. Just as Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. It's going to, it's going to help us grow as comprehensive disciples. I mean, I, I know some of you have been to Gold's Gym. I've seen you there. Y'all work out. Have you ever seen the dude at the gym? He's like all stacked and buffed, and he's got huge arms, and he's got huge pecs. Like he's just, he's just bulging out, but he's got toothpick legs. You seen that guy? Yeah, it's like he, he, might, he might be able to smack you in the face and knock your teeth out, but all you have to do is go and push him over. Why? Because he's all big up here. He doesn't have any strength down here, and so he's wobbly like a weeble. Right? And the thing is, is that some of us get that way in our faith. We focus and we build up in one or two particular areas, and that's all great and buff and ripped in those particular areas, but the rest of us is weak and we're unstable. And when storms come or trials or suffering or persecution comes, we fall over. We don't want to fall over. We want to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm on his word. That's what wisdom is all about. And as we go through this journey, we're also going to get clear in our focus. Remember what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3? He says, a time's coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers and preachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Not here. Right? We're going to get a clear focus on what 
the essentials of the faith are. And we're going to build our lives around it. We're going to live it out for our joy, for the Father's glory, and for the benefit of all those around us. And finally, the fourth benefit, the fourth what if, as we journey together, is growing in consistent replication. Paul also says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, to teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. In other words, God has deposited these truths, this message, this relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's deposited that in our hearts. He's written that testimony in our hearts. And it's not just that we are to guard that faith. We are also what? To give away that faith. And so that's the ebb and the flow. That's the rhythm of life in Christ. Surrendering taking it in, trusting, relying, depending on God with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, and strength, and giving it away by how we live. So if you think about learning and living and leading with the basics of the faith, it's not only an act of allegiance to the gospel, it's also an act of rebellion against the dark and corrupt cultural narrative that we're bombarded with every day. So what would it look like for you to believe, really believe, Anything is possible if a person believes. What would, it, what would it look like for us to begin today saying, Lord Jesus, I believe by the work of your Holy Spirit, will you help me in my unbelief? Help me trust, rely, and depend on you in my heart and my mind and my attitude and actions. Help me trust and rely and depend on you in my family. Help me trust and rely and depend on you in my place of work or in in my school. Help me trust, rely, and depend on you as I love and serve my neighbors and help them meet Jesus. Help me trust and rely and depend on you on whatever my circumstance is. That's what we're setting out on this summer. It's because God loves you. He loves you. He created you to trust and rely and depend upon him. Even in your shortcomings and sin, he loves you. And you don't have to conjure up enough faith or believe really, really hard in order for God to catch you. He's already caught you in Christ. And he will continue to catch you because he loves you. That's who God is. It's what God does. So in grateful response, beginning this morning, throughout this summer, you know what we're going to do? We're going to jump. We're going to jump. And as we come to the Lord Jesus at the table, by faith and with thanksgiving, I just I want to pray the prayer for Trinity Sunday again. That that would be our prayer and that the spirit would begin to move in our minds and in our heart and in our soul that we would become a people that trust and relies and depend fully on him and his love for us let us pray almighty and everlasting god you have given to us your servants grace by the confession of one true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity 
and in the power of your divine majesty to worship you in unity. Therefore, we humbly ask, keep us steadfast in this faith and worship. And bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.